This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Philly's Backstage. I am Tom Burgoyne, joined, as always, by the lovely, the talented, the the Natalie-dressed. Natalie? Come oh. on. I got a Philly's Vineyard Vines vest on. I hate Vineyard Vines. And I have a there, Vineyard Vines it. polo shirt and khakis and, and nice... I shouldn't say I hate Vineyard Vines, but I don't know. I, it's a little too... A little too uh, preppy or something. Yeah, I uh, don't know. I feel like I should be living in you know Nantucket or something to 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 wear that to pull that off. I got married in Nantucket. I know that was a great <laughs> wedding. We had a great time, but I didn't have any vineyard vines. I looked like uh, you know Roddy Dangerfield in Caddyshack. <laughs> Did you get a free bowl of soup for that hat? Exactly. <laughs> I come pulling up in the parking lot and cranking my horn. <laughs> That's right. Playing Journey <laughs> from your golf bag. All right. Uh, hey, so uh, John, we were just talking about what a crazy, wild uh, homestand we had. Uh, not necessarily on the field, but just promotionally, and just there was so much going on. Uh, I know you, you got to, I guess, host a, a celebrity. Well, I, I always say that uh, <laughs> things are going well. You know things are going well when celebrities come out of the woodwork. True. Right? I remember in the uh, that whole 2007 to 2012 run, mm. uh, we had celebrities. Remember all the celebrities oh, yeah. came out? Eddie Vedder came out for batting practice. We had uh, a lot of the country artists. Mm-hmm. We had, uh, Kenny Chesney, remember, came into the clubhouse. Yeah, Renee Zellweger and Bradley right, Cooper right. were here. It was, and, they were all, yeah, you know. Yeah. And then it, then the celebrities don't, you know, I guess it's all the brand, you know, our brand, the building of the brand. And then all of a sudden now that we're, we got Bryce Harper uh, and obviously Real Muto and Segura and, and McCutcheon, uh, and we're on the map that celebrities now are coming out. We had Jamie Foxx. We, mm-hmm. you know, we had, uh, it was great to have him like three weeks ago. Uh, we had Kurt Busch, uh, NASCAR driver. Uh, but yes, we had Bruce Willis, which was very Bruce exciting. Willis. So he was, uh, I was, I guess the point uh, contact for Bruce and great guy. Awesome guy. And it's funny. Like you think about all the movies you've seen, mm. you know, Bruce Willis, but my favorite part of the Bruce Willis story is, uh, he, um, was going to throw out, the, well, he took batting practice with the team. He met all the guys in the clubhouse, and they were all very excited to meet him and get a picture, you know, and Bryce and everybody. Andrew, everybody got a picture uh, taken with uh, Bruce Willis. And so um, he wanted to warm up for the first pitch, so we took him into the tunnel. And uh, John Maley, our hitting coach, was awesome, was uh, as he always is, as, as is Pedro Guerrero and all the guys down there. Um, so he, he uh, they made room for him to, to throw, and they put an intern to catch the ball. Uh, I didn't know the young kid. He, made, he might have been the bat boy or – um, so he did that and he was throwing well he's a lefty he was throwing kind of and I told him what I tell everybody mm-hmm. nice and easy and, and if you air too high you get a ooh if you air too low you get a boo you'd rather have a ooh than a boo so go higher than normal than lower right and don't try to throw too hard because that's when your arm's going to go right down you're going to throw a worm burner so that's kind of the basic advice I give so 
he goes out there, he throws out the first pitch, and and he doesn't. He he kind of does a almost a quick pitch. Like he doesn't. There's no build well, up. John, I had heard. I was having dinner with the camera guys, and they're like, did you see Bruce Willis in the batting cage? Like his he 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 wasn't showing a lot of athleticism in the batting cage. So I was a little worried about the. About the first he, he ball. Was, he's, yeah, he was thrown fine in the cage. He was thrown re- actually okay. really good. All right. I um, wasn't sure. Yeah, and, and actually the first pitch wasn't that bad. It was uh, he, so he, he gets out. He bounced it right, but it was a, at least a bounce in the dirt. It wasn't like that guy Akbar last year who <laughs> yeah. who bounced it like two feet in yeah, front of him. That wasn't right? so good. Uh, and I've seen some bad ones, but no, it was. But he hit the dirt, um, and Aaron Nola was catching him. So uh, normally, what happens is the uh, catcher goes out, meets the first pitch guy. It's usually the fanatic, but Aaron usually the fanatic, and they'll they'll meet give Bruce. the ball, <laughs> and they'll right they'll give, give the ball to each other, they ex- exchange pleasantries, and then go their separate way. Player goes into the dugout. The first ball thrower throws uh, throw, comes into the you know on deck circle on the visiting side. Well, Bruce for whatever reason followed Aaron Nola into the dugout. And I'm like, uh oh, we've he, lost him. He walked right into the dugout and he just <laughs> wheeled around, and now he's just kind of standing there. And he's got a Philly shirt on, so he yeah. you know, uniform, so it looks like he's you know at least blending right in. If you look him in the dugout, you can't see his his pants, so you're just seeing the Phillies uniform. And now all the players that didn't meet him are super excited to meet him. So they had Hector Neris and Sir Anthony Dominguez. They're going up to introduce themselves. Uh, so all of a sudden, meanwhile, I'm saying, oh, my God, I, gotta go, I have to go get him. I, maybe he thinks that's the way we exit it because we've gone through the dugout earlier in the day. So I go around there. I make eye contact with Gabe Kapler, and he, he was kind of smiling knowing the situation. But about 30 seconds later, uh, Gabe said, JB, you gotta you gotta go get him. <laughs> so, so I'm like, we got a game so to I'm play. Like, uh, Bruce, Bruce, uh, we we gotta go. We uh, yeah, we gotta go this way. But awesome guy, super guy. Uh, hopefully we can get him back. And, and again, I, again, I thought the first pitch was fine. Yeah, and he stayed for pretty much the whole game. Right, he stayed longer than I did. Yeah, I, I took off in the eighth inning. I think he stayed, you know, probably to the ninth, if not the full yeah. game. Yeah, yeah, I knew uh, we saw him in the Diamond Club there. So yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, the celebrities are out. Well, we also had. Um, yeah, you had. I saw you on. Uh, well, I saw. Your best friend on TV, on the Jimmy Fallon Show. Yeah, The Tonight Show called, and The Fanatic got a chance to go up to The Tonight Show. We've done videos for him, but that's the first time I was ever with The Fanatic at, at The Tonight Show, so it was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Well, yeah. and then you also, but you also met a lot of celebrities, because I saw there was a phone booth skit. Yeah, they did the phone booth skit. So they had Gabrielle Union was the celebrity in one phone booth, and Jimmy Fallon in another booth. And they were there was a trivia question, and if you got the trivia question wrong, then they'd stuff somebody in your telephone booth. Or if you got it right, they somebody would be stuffed in the other, the other person's. Yep. And uh, it was pretty funny. So behind backstage, there is a uh, well. First of all, there was a sheet up behind the two uh, phone booths, and you could see the silhouettes of who was backstage. So you could see the fanatic standing there, like, and I. The fanatic would turn his head a couple times so people could kind of see the snout. He would shoot his tongue a little bit. So I think people, if you're a sports fan, you might recognize the fanatic silhouette. But there was also uh, Tara Lipinski and Johnny Weir yep. were there. And it's funny because Johnny Weir has that like a, a hairdo that kind of sticks up on his head. It's like an old 50s like a pompadour. Yes, yes. And so his silhouette was pretty distinctive. I mean, maybe you'd even put that together. There was a guy with a python yep. around his neck. So even his silhouette looked funny. 
funny. So and uh, yet and yet contortionists. Yeah, two contortionists. And yet shaggy. Shaggy. Yeah. Uh, DJ, DJ Khalid. Khalid. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So they and the fanatic. They were all the celebrities that were backstage who had to kind of get stuffed into telephone booths. And it was it was funny. We knew the fanatic came out towards the end, and there was no way there were already like five people in the telephone booth. But Jimmy was like, "Fanatic, fanatic, just put your hand in there." Well, the fanatic put his snout, snout. in the uh, in the. In now the let me ask a question: booth. Would the fanatic have been uh, a little nervous if he was uh, put his sn- even if he put his snout in the booth where the boa constrictor was <laughs> yeah, in? There? Yeah, yeah, because big... I watched Jimmy Fallon in that booth. Yeah, with, you're not with a snake the, guy with a boa, and I, that would have been. There, there was probably <laughs> nothing worse than maybe putting a live crocodile, you know, and making me stand in a in a river. It was really cool to be backstage with the fanatic and listen to the studio audience laughing before he went out there. It was, I don't know, it just, it was very, um, it was like an old 60s, you know, like when you'd see it on TV. It was just like the laughing studio crowd because they were rolling when Jimmy was like trying to stay away from the snake. You know, right. they were really were getting a lot of laughs out of it. But uh, And by the way, Charlotte asked me, what, what, what is that? What is a phone booth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what is a phone booth? Yeah. No idea what a sh- I don't know where they even got those phone booths, right. but uh, it was pretty cool. You know, uh, the Roots, of course, there, and we both know uh, uh, Kamal, yep. who's the keyboard player, and he couldn't have been nicer. He stopped by the Fanatic's dressing room, you know, so the Fanatic was living large in New York. It was pretty cool. Fanatic's on a roll. Hollywood, you got Hollywood, New York. Yeah, we had the you know, Game of Thrones. We had, oh, we had the American Ninja Warriors dancing with the Fanatic yep. on the dugout last week. Um, yeah, just crazy, crazy stuff, but uh, hey, you know what else is crazy, John? We're going with uh, our second non-Phillies uh, guest in a row. We had Joe Watson last week, and I am so pumped to have our next guest, Tom McGinnis, voice of the Sixers. I love the way he calls a game. It's the best. Entertaining. Uh, just the, the fact that he does it by himself, and again, he's talking with himself. He's having conversations, actually heated conversations <laughs> with himself, is awesome. He, he does a fantastic job. It, it's great, and um, I'm thrilled that we're, uh, we're bringing him in. So let's do that. We'll We'll take a quick break, and we will be right back with Tom McGinnis. You can picture Chase Utley's swing and picture Chase Utley's throw. Now picture him as a Philly forever at the Toyota Chase Utley Retirement Night with a special pregame ceremony Friday, June 21st against the Marlins. Order at phillies.com. And we are back, Phillies backstage, and with us... The radio voice of the 76ers, Tom McGinnis. How you doing, Tom? I'm doing great, Tom. Great it's to see you. great to have you. I can tell you right now that uh, I know my three brothers are listening because uh, between me and my three brothers, we are your biggest fans. Oh, so, that's uh, great. I know they're finally going to tune into a podcast. And it's our second T-Mac. Uh, yeah, our second Because last T-Mac. year we had... Uh, Tom McCarthy. I listened obviously. to the Tom McCarthy one. Yeah, you, could, oh, you? you had to get in the question about him catching the ball out there. Oh where you're my almost, gosh, that I was s- an awesome story. Tom, I know we'll talk about you know your love uh, not only the city but uh, the Phillies, and we'll get into your career a little bit. But uh, I will say that the night that Tom McCarthy caught that ball out in center field was just I thought one of the greatest things that's happened. It's right up there with the Brad Lidge, uh, you know, last strikeout. And he did the World it Series. so casually too. <laughs> yeah. Well, the other day, and um, it was on like Sports Center and whatnot, but it was. A minor league broadcaster who's calling it and uh, here we are in the booth and the ball came up into the booth and he caught it I'm like that's nothing on the big league level Tom McCarthy caught a home run I know it's center field <laughs> right. well now you sit in section 112 do you ever get a basketball up there no no <laughs> anywhere close no but a t-shirt from Franklin maybe there are oh, those yeah right in the noggin right, is that right? <laughs> yeah yeah exactly that is what it is projectiles I mean how far how far are you from the court 
it's like the maybe the twenty fifth, twenty seventh throw. But the other day, for example, the other day, now what, twelve days ago, where we were in Toronto, I sat on the court and it's just like you won this fantasy trip. You'll sit down courtside, you'll get to call the game. It's like a there are still some places in the NBA where you are courtside or maybe in the second row. Which honestly, it took a little bit of an adjustment, but oh man, it's and I, I used to sit down there for right. years, and uh, and I get it. That's prime real estate. That's a uh, big time ticket revenue, and so we're lifted off the court, uh, not just in Philadelphia, but almost across the leagues. Like I say, say for maybe four or five spots, but when you are down there, or in years past when I was down there routinely, it's you're part of the action. You know, like you can. Even though I was in the huddles, it's not like I was, you know, betraying Larry Brown's secrets or whatever. It was just, it's like as close as you can be to, to playing. Well, can they hear you? Like, because like, uh, sometimes you, you you have to be somewhat critical, saying that's lousy defense, you know, on our own guys. And then, like, if especially you're so, you, Tom. But, I mean, yeah, right. You know, you're loud. You're, you're, I mean, no offense. You're, 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 you should be good. loud. Yeah, yeah. But right, can, right. can they can they ever hear you? I don't know if they can hear me, but like by way of example, in the Toronto series, I did get to sit because there was low, no local television. I, as I said, I sat in the front row, and there was a lot of this going on. So if the you know I'm right, <laughs> right for right. the podcast <laughs> listeners, I'm waving my hands, get like, out of here, three. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there was some of that, but I remember. To There's your, no cheering in the press box, Tom. Yeah, not, not there. Right. What's I moved upstairs, I literally take the tie off, take my blazer off, roll up my sleeves. You're sitting with the season ticket holders. That's yeah. how they're dressed, you know. So you get into it. But years ago, remember when the Sixers played Milwaukee uh, 18 years ago in those conference finals with Sam Cassell? And he was one of those Patrick Beverly types that would get under your skin and certainly irritate your guys. And yeah, I, I was like fist clenched right across the table, like <laughs> kind of right in his face, like, bring it on, Sammy. All right, let, let's talk about earlier in your career. Now, uh, Tom, told, Tom Burgoyne told me this that I never knew. I've known you for almost 25 years. And now you were a uh, fantastic uh, basketball player, but I didn't know you had sclerosis growing up. Scoliosis, that, or scoliosis, yeah. sorry. Um, which you know you got that as your freshman year. Yeah. So, so it's curvature of the spine, and uh, I played basketball. Like we didn't have like CYO and AAU. It was a little town that I grew up in, like a hundred miles from Chicago. So the first time I played hoop was in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. And then freshman year, I played football, and I had never played football before. This just gets into the story because now football ends, and now basketball starts, and I had intense pain in my back. And, uh, you know, football is a game like seven seconds. The conditioning is so much different than basketball. When basketball started, you know, the stopping, the starting, the sprints, and the pain was just incredible. And so my dad's best friend uh, was a doctor, our family doctor, and Dr. Goody Torson, and you know, they had 13 kids. So I'm best friends with like three of his kids to this day. And uh, let's go see Goody. So I, yeah, had scoliosis, and they took me to Milwaukee, which this guy was a specialist, and he had invented this brace, this Milwaukee brace, and it's still around today. It's a contraption. It hmm. looks medieval, like. And I had to wear this with the purpose of, you know, and again, I'm standing straight up. It went like underneath my thing. It was I got fitted for a body cast. It was really, I mean, and I don't, I'm just saying this, uh, I looked like I was handicapped, you know, and it was... And under, you couldn't play sports for a year, basically. Yeah, and uh, it's funny because then uh, our old uh, team doctor, Dr. Jack McPhillamy, and, and the guy I still see chiropractic-wise, Dr. Neil Liebman in Pensauken, who's unbelievable, they both heard about it and uh, that I had this brace. They go, oh, that didn't work. I'm like, what? <laughs> You're kidding me. 
<laughs> Ten months <laughs> through this child trauma, I still got the marks. <laughs> it was unbelievable. So yeah, it was, it was quite an ordeal. I learned a lot, you know. And at, you know, at a certain point, you correct the curvature to where it's a, a viable thing, because otherwise, you could have surgery, and there's different things. And uh, you know, I'm not the only one with scoliosis. It affects girls more than it does boys. But my kids have had to get in ch- checked. It is hereditary, and and the thing is, it still affects me today. Like mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm one of the lucky few that like 20, 25 percent that it still affects. Like I, I did another podcast and. The guy said, so that that's over? It's like, <laughs> no. Right. Mm. <laughs> I get a back mm. tissue every day. Mm. Mm. And uh, you were basketball, football. Uh, did you play baseball at all? I did. Uh-huh. Yeah, I'm the poster child for being washed up at 12 or 13 years old. Right? <laughs> There's some no-hitters there. Yeah. There were two other guys here, Tom, I think. At, uh, yeah, about 13, we both knew uh, it yeah, wasn't no, going to happen I, for me and John. <laughs> I would actually say baseball, for me. based on what I just said about basketball, in that we didn't get to start till we were 12 or so. Baseball was my first love. Mm. Oh man, mm. I just and to this day, I, I've already been to eight games, like uh, three, two here, and you bring Luke to a lot yeah, of games. Your to son, my son, yeah, in New York, and and we went in Chicago and Minneapolis and uh, Toronto. I went to three games, but yeah, so I was a pitcher and a shortstop, and uh, you know, I had heat. Like I, I'm pointing out here to where the. Uh, the deal is with the they monitor how fast you can throw mm-hmm. it. My son clocked fifty two. I came in at a blazing thirty six <laughs> last Saturday. We were out here, but there back then I probably threw like high fifties, sixties, and right. you know I, I, what happened was we played catch all the time, and in the front yard I threw a curveball, and in little league you know they, first of all they don't want you to throw a curveball. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they try to snap it off with your wrist. Well, that breaks like two inches. So I came up, you know, like with the 12, the 6, that thing broke like 12 inches, right? But real good in the front yard, you know what I mean? But it wasn't just that. Like for our young listeners, like your arm, that's basically soft cartilage until you grow up and mature. And that's what I did. Mm -hmm. I put so much pressure. And my dad, he came down and watched. But my dad like ran a bank and stuff. And he had meetings. He was with the Chamber of Commerce. He was school board. He had all these. He wasn't coming down to watch every Little League game like we do today. Mm -hmm. So the pitch count and, and what you were doing in the front yard coupled with, you know, throwing six innings Mm -hmm. twice a week or whatever, like, so yeah, I had three no hitters in a perfect game. That you know, there's 18 outs in a little league game. There were multiple times there were, I, I struck out 17, and the 18th out was a tap wow. back to the mound. Oh. Yeah, it's great, you know. But yeah. and now I can barely tie my tie. Right. If I don't get the top button the first time, I got to walk around the hotel cast. room. So one and one of your first jobs was in, in the announcing world. Was down in Charleston, uh, we, where you worked. You did a lot of things. You worked, I guess covered the masters right oh, yeah. and but you also did the river dogs which is down in charleston yeah so at that time it was the charleston rainbows and this was at the citadel so i was the local sportscaster i was the weekend guy that was my first job i made a robust fourteen thousand dollars a year and i got a job right out of college which is so lucky i probably burned that bridge for everybody because i was i was on the i was the weekend anchor and then i was a weekday reporter so like the days off were monday and tuesday but we did. We we covered minor league baseball. They were in the Atlantic Coast League, and uh, so I just did it. I, I I don't think it's Atl- it's the Atlantic League. And I did my first live shot. I call it, I was so nervous. I called it the Atlantic Coast League. But we covered a lot of minor league was baseball. That, was that Bill Vex's son who ran that? Mike Vex? Yeah, they they own it now. But they with, didn't own it back then. No, they okay. did not. And because uh, Bill Murray is part of that now as right, well. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And uh, the St. Paul Saints and whatnot. No, this was uh, actually they were a Padres affiliate. There were so many great stories. And as you know, with minor league baseball, you see these guys on the way up. Like uh, Cliff Floyd was on a team, I think, making or one of those teams that came in. But the one I remember the most, and I just did a story on him, like Jack McKeon was a longtime GM of the Padres. Mm-hmm. 
and um, Roberto Alomar was on that team, and Sandy Alomar, and their dad was like a coach. Yeah. So, and like, what year would that have been? Uh, we're looking at like uh, '85, mm-hmm. probably, okay. mm-hmm. uh, maybe late '84. And so we would go down there and and do stories. Most of the time, we shot the games. I'm going to get into that in a second because it's interesting how you cover baseball when you're just one camera and you're really just shooting a few runs and going back to the station. Hey, call me with the game, or you listen on the radio. Uh, that was a big thing. But no, so Bobby Alomar, uh, Roberto, he, he was. They they used to say like his glove was like his his binky or his baby or his toys. Cut. He had it everywhere with the dad at Yankee Stadium. And Sandy had already kind of established himself. Like he had the obviously the physique. Isn't he like a coach now with the Indians? You mm-hmm. could just tell he was going to be a big leader. Yeah, yeah. So the day we were there, uh, McKeon was there, and they were teaching Roberto Alomar how to drag bunt. And in the minor leagues, they're like, okay, and you're doing it tonight like three times. Do you know what I mean? You're like, don't, don't intersper- you're doing it tonight. And I'll be darned if he didn't get like two hits, mm-hmm. drag, button it. And uh, I had just done a piece on him. So that was neat then to follow their trajectory. But real quickly to circle back, you would come to the game, and here we are in the broadcast booth right above home plate. I'd have the camera. We'd be at, you know, the press box would be over there, and we'd either have tripod or right on my shoulder. <laughs> and you couldn't just shoot the game for, t- remember, this is for television. So, you would come and establish a shot where you get the pitcher and the catcher, okay? And now you get a couple of those good – if you had to get in the stretch, you'd get that. Because what you wanted to do was eventually you have to frame the shot and edit the shot in the camera and then go back to the station and edit it for the TV news. We were the ABC affiliate in Charleston. And then after you got that shot with the pitcher and the catcher, you would strictly shoot the batter. And then, you know, obviously you'd click off every time he fouled it off. But when he hit one in the gap, you would follow the ball. You would get it to the gap. And then here comes the around second. You would follow that. You get him touching home plate. And all that stuff. And then you would go back to the station and edit the pitcher's windup right to the point of release. And he had a toggle a little bit. You know, back then there was like 30 seconds per frame. Today, what is it like three trillion? It's right, so right. you know un- unusual. This was three quarter inch tape, which is dating myself television wise. But then you would get the release point, and then you would time it to when oh, this is about what it would look like in real eye to your eye, and then that's how you put it together. And and you know minor league baseball it would be like nine to seven, and you would right. just have the yeah. and and the rainbows went on to win the game nine to seven, you know. But that was a big staple of being at the park, and the other sports guys were there. And, and, uh, and at this point, what was in your mind as far as what you're going to be doing down the road? Could you see yourself as an anchor at that point? Could well, you see was, yourself getting into the sports side? Right. So so right at that time, if you go back to as Tom said, the mid '80s. ESPN's only, it's in its infancy. It's five or six years old. And, you know, back then the local news was still a big deal. You know what I mean? Like not everybody turned to SportsCenter. Uh, And we covered the Citadel and University of South Carolina and and the College of Charleston and what's now Charleston Southern, but it was Baptist University and a lot of high school sports. Like high school sports were huge. Hey, my brother Dollar Bill played soccer at College Charleston. You probably covered my brother Dollar Bill's games. It could have been. (laughs) They, They were really good at basketball. They had a coach there, John Kress, who was really good. One of his assistants is now the Wichita State head coach, Greg Marshall. Uh, and the Citadel was, even though they were you know, totally under man, but Les Robinson was the coach. So I don't know. I just got a job right out of college. I literally drove down there by myself, didn't know anybody, packed my car down there. It's a really neat place. I mean, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have heard of Charleston and you know, my wife and I got engaged there, and it's just like, who knows? Lord willing, we'll, we'll end up uh, spending a lot of time there. But it was, it was an awesome place. So I didn't really know. But I spent like six or seven years in television, 
And the one th- I always had a hankering for pro basketball. Well, I was going to say, didn't you? Uh, he went up to Atlanta, right? And you yep. and you you simulated a game yep. where Dominique Wilkins was facing in Michael Jordan in basketball, yep. and that's how you got your big break. Yeah, but I also did that for baseball. Like I did hmm. that at Fulton County Stadium all the time. I what did, did you that. Just at, sit in your uh, your room it, and yeah, record no, yourself. No, or, please. Or you go to the game. Yeah, right. I would go to the because okay. I was a sportscaster who could get a pass mm-hmm. as you know, like a sports director. So again, that was Charleston. And I end up going to Florida and getting a job. I always mumble over the Panama City part. But it was in Northwest Florida, um, and yeah. So Charleston and Panama City were both like five hours from Atlanta, in, in a, on an angle, like one to the East Coast mm-hmm. and one to Northwest Florida. And there was enough going on in Charleston. We went to Monday Night Football a few times. Went up there. My roommate was from there. But when I was in Panama City, like you know, you, you can only get so much a spring break, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I was more actually. Now, don't get me wrong. I saw a few of those t-shirt contests. <laughs> I don't want to be too funny, Duddy. But I was more at you know, like morning mass with all the snowbirds from Ontario. That was okay. more my speed. So uh, anyway, so I would go to Atlanta, and yeah, I went to Fulton County Stadium way more than I went mm-hmm. to the Omni. And uh, mm-hmm. and the thing was to go to a couple games so that I would you know have the notes. And hmm. that I was trying to get a baseball tape, yeah, you know, and uh, and again I did it at the vet, and I know we're jumping around. I'll get back to that basketball deal, John. But yeah, so uh, Larry was nice enough to give me a pass. My first year here, mm-hmm. I had a season's pass to the Phillies. I probably came thirty or forty times. I was hmm. single again. I loved baseball, yeah. and and so like well, we might as well get right into it. And what did you do at lunchtime that one time? One of the cooler experiences you had with uh, uh, my man Mage. Oh, yeah. Let me tell that story in a second. I'll circle back. I know I'm windy, but it's a podcast. Uh, No, so I would come. So the series I came to that did I did this mock broadcast was when Mark McGuire first got to the Cardinals. And Mm. I sat, like, if this was, you know, the press box and this was Dan Baker and and this was, um, what's the white-haired cameraman that's out in center? Bernie. Bernie. Bernie Bernie Lehman. I was to the right of him. I had a table. I'm like, this is kind of – because I did it at spring training, too, yeah, awesome. in Florida. I'm like, this might be the best setup I've ever yeah. – and Bernie, it was so cool because I wasn't bothering anybody, and nobody was – like, sometimes I did it at Comiskey Park, and, like, a former Wisconsin baseball player, what are you doing? And he thought I was a scout, and I'm like, and we we're about the same age. I'm like, oh, I'm doing a mock broadcast. I'm like, no, and I had to, like, fake like I was a scout for a little bit. Okay, you know right, what I mean? Right. I had, like, a blue tape recorder. I was, like, this stud <laughs> baseball player from the Big Ten. I'm like, oh. but anyway, in here, I, I was, like, How left. that? It, yeah, and that so awesome. Mark McGuire, we, you guys probably watch it, too. Mm. He was going yard yep. in, in well, batting, batting practice. practice. Batting, crush yeah. it. You couldn't watch the yep. arc of the fly ball. It was a spectacle ball. then. People mm-hmm. would literally. Yeah. Sure. You it, couldn't watch one whole home run, the whole arc of it, and the land of it, and watch his next swing. You had to turn your eyes back on because that's how far they were. Which, by the way, I watched Bo Jackson do the same thing when I was in Chicago doing the exact same thing I talked about. White Sox Royals, but so yeah, I did that. It never came to pass. By the way, there's a little dry air when you're doing it, and Mike DeFelice falls off for the twentieth time. You know <laughs> right. I mean? But I got a couple but home you, run calls, yeah. and you know, I did apply for a minor league job, and I did some games in Charleston because I went back, you know, in the seasons when I was in minor league basketball, and this guy Richard Jablonski wrote for the Charleston Post and Courier, and he had me in there because he's doing these games by himself, and I did some. And so my big tape, like I was going to get a tape, and we were in Conway, South Carolina. It's by Nordal Beach, where Coastal Carolina, the Chanticleers or whatever. We're in the booth. I'm, I actually had I had enough reps now. I'm, I'm going to be pretty good at it. I, I think this is going to be my shot. 
and here we are in this booth where Scott and Larry sit, and the, the windows are closed, so guys are cracking home runs, and we're in an enclosed booth like hmm. that, so we're not getting the crack no, of the bat the like, there goes my tape. Yeah, that doesn't no, sound good. No, it did sound like I was in a room. Well, how about our Jim Jackson, who, uh, you know, he does hockey, and he does mm-hmm. baseball, so, I mean, has that ever crossed your mind that you could yeah. ever pull something like that off? No, I would love to do that, but again, I don't know, that, and he was able, Jim, he went to Trenton, mm-hmm. you know, he put in his time, he was able to do this during the NHL lockout, and he, he really, he married it together. So that that's awesome. And to be able to do it in the same market, mm-hmm. but honestly, they don't hire, like, announcers for 40 or 50 games, right? Like, oh, right. I forgot to tell you, I'll be joining you in mid-May. Is that right, going to work right. for you, right? Yeah, yeah, and yeah. it doesn't. No, it's tough. So, Unless uh, you're Phillies Radio last year. <laughs> That's right. right. We, had three, we had four guys in the booth. Yeah. Uh, and your name's not Kevin, guys. so you couldn't have been. And honestly, I could never. I mean, I would love it. But it's just like if I did it here, they'd be like, he's terrible. Have you heard him too? Baseball He's horrible. <laughs> the, because it'd be so different. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like it's the people understand how I call a basketball game. It wouldn't. I'd have to probably go elsewhere. Yeah, but when someone hits a home run, you'd be like, "Are you kidding me? That ball got out of there!" <laughs> right. It's no, a but, different. It's a different pace. And, yeah. and your style, Tom. I mean, it's so great, and it's so much fun to listen to. Uh, and it's objective, but it's it's also yeah. You're a Sixers fan. There's just so much great things we could talk about. But uh, did you have somebody you emulated at all? Like when you were a kid, was there a guy uh, who you had a favorite announcer? Maybe you don't do what he does, but right. uh, did you have guys who you liked growing up? There's not anybody. There was one guy with the Bulls, but there's not one person. To be honest with you, I was more of a news guy. Like, don't get me wrong, I watched a million sporting events. And so I was influenced by so many different people and still am to this day. The one thing that we do as sports fans, how about it? We watch, like I just said, thousands of hours of sporting events. And when this is your field, you're taking that all in and some of those cues you like, some of the things you don't like. So you're constantly being influenced by it uh, in terms of watching and whether, whatever the sport might be. And I watched a lot of new. I was a, my father was you know, as I said, a banker and a lawyer. We watched the news all the time, and so I grew up on a steady diet of Walter Cronkite. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But there was a guy in Chicago, Jim Durham, who passed away. And he did the Bulls for a number of years, right up to 91 when they won their first championship. He was really good. And he went on to do the Dallas TV for the Mavericks and ESPN Radio. And wonderful guy. And I, I listened to Jim a lot. So some of that cadence. But really, I think it's it's born out of an appreciation and a passion for the sport, for what our players do, for what the NBA is, the greatest, to my opinion, as a collective body, the greatest athletes in the world playing our sport. And even though I played at a way, way less level, I played sports and I played basketball. I understand what it takes. I have a little bit of an athlete's mindset. So that, and that's what I do. This is what I do. You know what I mean? It's not like I was working for Roto-Rooter up until 5.30 and drove over to the arena. I'm building toward this all day. And so, like, with the proper perspective. But I'm shot out of a broadcasting cannon at that time. You know yeah. what I mean? Kind of like a hot dog. Well, but, and and <laughs> one of the sports you didn't mention is that, uh, and this is kind of how you got your break with the Sixers, is that you worked for the uh, Cleveland Lumberjacks, hockey. right? Hockey, International Hockey League. That was in the same arena as the Cleveland Cavaliers. Right. A guy for the Cleveland Cavaliers was their president, and he went on to join the Sixers. Right. The Sixers needed a new radio announcer in 1995, was it? Yep. And recommended you. I mean, it's just all that, these serendipitous break, occasions, yeah. and then yep. boom, and then you come to Philadelphia, and that must have been pretty awesome. Oh, now you got a major league job in a major city for a major basketball team. 
That must have been awesome. Oh, it still is. I never take it for granted. I won the lottery. Nice. I won the lottery, no doubt about it. And all I would say, again, for young listeners. We do have an audience here. Yeah, that's right. And uh, just in that is, so, so yeah, you need your 10,000 hours, right? Mm-hmm. And I, I grind it is the common phrase today. I, I put a lot of time in, a lot of sacrifice, moved by myself at one point, coupling these, these minor league seasons of six months at a crack, and then moving around. I moved like 13 times in nine years, okay? Mm. And wow. again, I wasn't wow. married. I didn't have a family. It was mm. my dream, my goal. And I ended up spending 10 years between the television that we spoke of, like three years in both Charleston and Florida, and then, as John mentioned, the, the hockey, and I did minor league basketball. And that's where I built a resume and built the ability and the credibility to be a play-by-play announcer and then back in the day, we used to say, you know, what's the paperclip on the on the resume? In other, in, in that is, what's going to put you toward the top of the stack? And then, what you, you need a little contact, you need a little luck. And so the networking part of it was, the guy you're speaking of, his name is Tom Chestnut. And you're right, he was the president of the Cavs. The Wells Fargo Center was just being built. And so the, the Flyers and the Sixers were moving into a new building. He had just overseen what was at the time, it's Quicken Loans Arena now, but Gund Arena. And you know, with that, as we sit here at this beautiful ballpark at Citizens Bank Park with the amenities for the fans and the different, the Diamond Club, the club boxes, all the, the Ashburn Alley, all of these elements are for your fans. And that's what was going on with the Wells Fargo Center where you know, there were gonna be different things to sell and, and create this atmosphere, and he had done that. And so that's what I think Harold Katz was like, whoa, because at the time, I'm serious, we had like 35 employees. And so he was going to kind of pilot that, and I had met him in Cleveland, and then and I just uh, sent him something. But my friend Dave Dombrowski, who's the broadcast director for the Cavs, and I, I always joke with him, but I'm really not joking, and I owe my career to him, and that is he was just calling Tom Chestnut to wish him well and thank him, you know, because he worked with him and whatnot. And he said, oh, by the way, do you realize you have this tape of Tom McGinnis? And I had played, like, pickup basketball. With, they had a practice gym in their facility. And I was like Maurice Cheeks to Dr. J. I threw it to this guy every, every time. <laughs> I wasn't dumb. He was like 6'5". He lived in the area for a long time. I don't know where he currently uh, resides. But he had played at Princeton. And it was a bunch of young staffers for the Cavs. And my buddy, my roommate uh, with the hockey team played. He's like, you should play. And I was still young enough and fit enough at 34 to be able to play. And I only played like three or four times. And then I think maybe he had seen the hockey because I did 20 TV games. I did some in-arena things for the Cavaliers, like on their Jumbotron, as kind of like a, a little bit of a test. And they auditioned me because their over-the-air job was open. And I sat with Austin Carr and did a game. And uh, so all of those things positioned me with Dave. And then I just I, – I, then you have to be persistent. And I say this as a – as like a coach to young people or anybody who's looking for a, you know a dream job or whatever, I stayed on Dave and just hit him with different things and and I didn't get that job. It went to Jim Gray, okay, mm. for one year. It turned out he wasn't real good at that. But um, so yeah, then I then I came here because of that. And I but again I put in the time. I had the resume, and if I didn't do that CBA. I don't get that job. Right. And uh, so, yeah, no, it's to them so then, now it's so dream then come you, true. There's, I, I believe half the announcers do it by themselves, half the radio play-by-play mm-hmm. in the NBA. So you did it by yourself, but you also did uh, at least a couple seasons with Todd McCulloch yeah. as a partner. So tell me the difference between – I love listening to you by yourself. I mean, it's you're, you're actually – 
A, I know you very well, but it's it's fun to hear you talk about you know you're you're almost talking to somebody else but that somebody else is you and i love those conversations that you're having with yourself because it's hysterical but then you also had todd for those couple years so tell me about what it's like doing it by yourself and then what it was like when you had a partner so i think todd was actually five years was it five years okay well and todd mcculloch had just come off his uh he was still on his player contract and he was with the sixers and then he, he got traded to the nets and, and then he came back to the Sixers, and he had just signed like a $34 million contract. And Todd was a really good player, and I, I think he was going to get even better, and I'll get to your answer. But he ended up with this foot neuropathy, mm-hmm. and and that is like um, he couldn't play anymore. The pain in his foot was so bad. It was hereditary. His mother had it. Mm-hmm. And so here he was. And I think Billy King was trying to keep him around the game a little bit. Billy was our GM at the time. And Todd had no, like, he was, he, A, along with Kyle Corver, two of the best players we've ever had as guys, as people, to come in uh, through our organization and still close with those guys today. And so, but my point is, Todd, I don't think he had any inclination of being a broadcaster. So by their very nature, these guys are experts because they played. And so they know nuance and they know situations that it just, to them, it's like, hey, pass the salt. You know what I mean? They just, they know this stuff. But... Todd wasn't, and he would tell you this, he, he wasn't totally into it. He was actually probably bummed out because here he was 29 years old and he just had his profession taken away from him. Oh, and it wasn't just a turned ankle. It's something that's not going away and it's going to get worse. So just one quick story. Like when when the Nets moved to Brooklyn, they were still in Newark and, and they had like all, a lot of their former players back and Todd came and we had like a courtside conversation before their – introduction and Michael Korn a lot of the former Kerry Kittles a lot of the former Nets were back there and he goes boy I can't thank you enough for for what that meant to me and uh so and he is serious he is such a nice guy and, and a really bright person and a very good pinball player unbelievable he's got like 300 pinball machines we went <laughs> we went yeah, to is. his building he's got a a house right off of Seattle on an island Bainbridge Island and you know everybody knows G.R. Aquila right like so we we're there and JR is the producer of Sixers basketball and has directed so many Phillies games over the years, a longtime uh, employee of NBC Sports Philadelphia. And so JR was part of our group. We were over there. We'd taken a ferry over there, and Todd had like a little uh, sandwich bread for us. And we were going to go see these pinball machines that he had. And, and JR's like, geez, Todd, this is beautiful. I mean, his house looked like Villanova's gym with the wide pine- panel pine. It was gorgeous. And JR's a. Uh, being complimentary, he goes, but I'm surprised your neighbors are so close. And it was his garage. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a three-story wow. building. Nice. And that's where the pinball where machines were. Yeah. Very nice. Yeah, and he had antique ones. It was awesome. And uh, he's really just a special person. And uh, so, yeah, so that's one thing. So the, the, the back to your question, Job, the, the, the dialogue and the, the back and forth, I get that. that that's rich broadcast, you know what I mean, where you get the repartee. And certainly in our sport, at the end with the timeouts where you can talk strategy, and then it gives you, or in this case, me, a time to think. Because right. now you're talking, I'm listening mm-hmm. to what your point is, but I'm also, oh, then this. You know, like I know time it's like and Tom score. Tom and I on the podcast here. That's right. <laughs> That's right. I know time and score and fouls to give and what could happen and what the Sixers need. If they don't steal, they got to foul. I got all that. But you trust me, you miss some things. Like I'll go home and listen mm-hmm. to Zoo, and I'll, I'm like, oh, I wish I would have brought that up. And I think some of those things maybe slip through the cracks because I don't have somebody else. But I've also been in those situations like literally thousands of times. So most of the time I, I get it right. 
Um, and then by yourself, there's so much stimuli. There's 10 players. There's two teams. There's three referees, two coaches, all these angles. Oh, and then action. Mm-hmm. You know, like when I was in TV, you learn early on to when you show a piece of video, it's called like, you know, the CSA rule. But it still exists today. In other words, when we're showing, you know, right fielder Bryce Har- or talking about Bryce Harper in right field, you want a shot of Bryce mm-hmm. Harper in right field or him batting or whatever. I mean, it's common sense. Like, but that's how TV works. Well, it's, to me, I'm, I'm talking about what I'm seeing. And I just happen to have a trained eye in terms of I've seen all these basketball games. I'm an announcer. I'm familiar with our team, our players, and and there's just a potpourri, a whole smorgasbord of things to talk about. And then you have to get certain, you know, uh, corporate el- marketing elements in. There's really, it's not hard to fill the time. It's the energy and, and that type of thing that. And do you have to pace yourself? Yeah. Because you have to pace yourself, right? You can't just keep going 100 miles an hour the whole time. Right. Because that's no fun to listen to either, right? And not every moment's like that. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, I was just talking with one of the receptionists as I got here, and she was talking about Maurice Cheeks from back in the day. And, you know, Mo was our coach for, I believe, three and a half seasons, four seasons, and obviously a great player. Uh, into the Hall of Fame. We're so proud of that. And just a, a wonderful person. And for whatever reason, you know, because the coaches, they, they don't really hear you. I mean, like back in the day, like in the minor leagues, the, the audio, the, the radio would go to the tape. I'm like, ooh, better be a little more careful here. And the league, and I'd be mm. you know, ripping the referees. and that. <laughs> but so for whatever reason, Maurice heard the game. And he says to me, and I took it as a compliment. He's like, geez, it's not really that exciting. <laughs> yeah, it was like every play was fourth and goal from the one-yard line. Well, there's certain players. Certainly this team uh, is all of a sudden the Sixers have dynamic players after a long stretch. Uh, Tom, I know you had a tough go with that for about four years there. But uh, uh, how about even before that? And uh, I ran into you at the Hall of Fame for Allen I- Iverson. What was it like uh, calling his games? And, and it's hard to pace yourself when you got a dynamic player like an Allen Iverson that you're calling just plays and that you've never seen before. Yeah, no, he was an incredible talent athletically, you know, for a guy six feet, 165 pounds to be able to score that ball and go in there with those big guys and take the pounding and get up and do it again, mm-hmm. make make a foul shot or two free throws and go back and do it again. And an extraordinary, uh, he wasn't like a I don't want to say extraordinary defensive player, but he did lead the league in steals, so he was like a gambler. He also led the league in my bads, right, because he'd gamble and, oh, sorry, Aaron, you got to get my guy. But, no, Iverson was exceptional. And, you know, some of the shots he made and the fact that he measured up to the big moments, that was, you know, as a broadcaster, you know, to like to be in a seat where you're describing this guy's plays and what it did for our team. And he was a, a player that, the, the whole city gravity, the whole country, because he was kind of a, you know, he broke through some molds in terms of his style and how he dressed. And, you know, he didn't really change for corporate America. Uh, so I think we were all aware of how that, you know, was a big draw for a lot of people. And the fact that he was so small, but the biggest thing, he was really talented, you know, like, I can remember he went to the bubble, you know, before there was an overcare center for football. He threw the football like 65, 70 yards. I honestly believe he got recruited by Florida State and Notre Dame. He could have played college football. And now here we have Deshaun Jackson back. I I think that's what you would have looked at in terms of Iverson. I think he could have played in the NFL. And and I love that 2000-2001 team that it was – you had AI, but then you also had all these selfless players. Mm. You know what I mean? You had Tyrone Hill and you had uh, George Lynch and you had – 
Theo Ratliff and you know Snow and Aaron Eric McKee. Snow, right? Yep. Aaron McKee, right? You had right. all these guys that were more of those, you know, behind, obviously very important, but they were more the selfish guys and and let Aaron, Allen be that right. AI be that you know superstar. Well, and that's the other, back to Tom's point to have a whole franchise, a, a team built around one player like that that could get you thirty points on any night, and then as you say, John, like all these other guys that were willing to guard and pass and screen and rebound. That, that's what Tyrone Hill and George Lynch did. They, they guarded and they boarded. And Larry Brown, the game was different then. The three-point shot wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is in today's game. Uh, really, over just the last 10 years, it's changed. And then you go back to the mid-'90s. You know, Allen started in 96. And, you know, again, that series with the Bulls and the Jazz, I believe 20 threes were taken. In, in some of these playoff games, 86 threes are taken. So... But anyway, to your point, like, yeah, Iverson was a special talent, and I think Billy King and Larry Brown built the team around him, uh, which is really saying something for how close they got to potentially winning a championship in that 0-1 series against Los Angeles. How about the current team? Obviously, you've got a lot of, you know, now you have several superstars. You have Joel Embiid. Uh, who's not only a superstar on the court, but he's a he's a superstar in social media. Um, he's a bigger than life. Then you also oh, yeah. have Ben Simmons, who's more reserved, but you know, obviously uh, first pick overall. Uh, it's almost like we're looking for those selfless players now. That bench. I mean, I know it's right. been criticized the Sixers bench. Uh, maybe they're going to improve that this off season, but uh, they're the kind of players we're looking for. Right? Yeah, no, and it's hard because especially at this point with the Sixers looking to sign these free agents, mm-hmm. um, and then. As you say, like one of the issues, if you will, in the playoffs was to have a backup center and to have a bench. It's tough, you know, where the first, and this goes for a lot of teams, not just the Sixers, but where you have to commit so much of your cap and so much of your financial remuneration on these top players. And then how do you fill out the bench? And that's where I think Elton Brand is really excited to have this entire offseason to find the right pieces and mold the team together. And it's a huge challenge because. You know, as Brett Brown said prior to this year, you know, and I quote, we want more. And, you know, to get past the second round, you know, you're going to have to have these guys deliver as superstar players. And as we've seen countless times in, in baseball, any sport where, boy, you need that, that, that hero to step up. And oftentimes it's a reserve where you didn't think he was going to step in and make the play, but that's what helped put you over the tap at uh, the top and win a championship. And how about team chemistry too? I know we brought in some new players, Tom, uh, this year, and that they really made a focus down in spring training. They're veterans some veteran players, you know, the McCutcheons and Robertson and Harper and uh, real Muto. And they, they knew we have to develop chemistry and they made a conscious effort to right. do so. I, I love it. You know, if you see one of our guys get a double, or extra base hit. You know, they're waving to the dugout. They have these little things that they kind of developed Handshakes. in spring training. The handshakes are big. Do uh, you get a sense that the Sixers, I know that the team that we saw in the playoffs didn't play a lot this year between injuries and all that. They didn't play together oh, too guys much. acquired late. Yeah, you know, like yeah. Tobias so, Harris. So, I mean, that's a big part of the, uh, Absolutely. the, the, the equation, isn't well, it? Well, a few things. One is back to your team. Like the other day, like Harper had a great weekend here. And, you know, this was in the Rocky series where he hits home runs on Saturday and Sunday gets a double but what was the biggest reaction he gets into an account where he 
that's a fine and a suspension. That a phone is, just that's rang. a total fine. I got to put a quarter. I can't <laughs> believe it. Quarter. And you know what? <laughs> that's the big leagues. It happens every press conference oh, I go to. You know, or every it. quiet event. There's always some guy's phone going off. my cell phone? Like you're at a concert and someone's it's doing a slow ballad and you hear someone's phone. But anyway, yeah. Yeah, you were so talking about the So when Bryce Harper yes. was bases are loaded, <laughs> and you know he gets two strikes on him, and let's be honest, he struck out of and he puts the ball in play down the right field to the first mm-hmm. baseman, and yes. a run scored. Yes, and, and like this guy can hit a three hundred, you know, four hundred yard or foot home run, and that play right, he came to the dugout, and your manager Kapler talked about it after the game, but that's the chemistry mm-hmm. where they were all rooting for him, and he delivered. Uh, so that's that's one thing. That's like you say. That's special. And the fans they pick up on that, no doubt. So I think as like front office people, the biggest thing is character. And you know you see hear so much about culture, but you especially, can especially from your leaders, absolutely. And just in general, and, and you're going to add pieces to your team. They're players, they're people, and they've got to be able to fit in. So, And that's where you do your intel and your due diligence and talk to everybody, not just his agent, but former players. And, you know, these guys have broad networks in which they gain their information. What kind of guy is this guy? You know, mm-hmm. well, what's he going to be like when he's 0 for 14 and mm-hmm. all of those things? And, you know. And I'm sure you guys do too. We always ask the visiting clubhouse guy, yeah, who, right. dealt, who that's the most important guy, because he's in the clubhouse and he sees how he acts. Right. Does he tip the guys? Does he acknowledge right. people? Does he. Well, I just. Just heard a guy on uh, during the the NBA Combine was talking about um, you know he was with the Nets and like even the guy brought the guy in from the airport what, what was he was he kind was he considerate like little things and that's what I would say too sometimes to our our players in minor league basketball I was in the CBA and certainly now with the advent of so much video but. When you go to a game and you watch like when a guy gets taken out or how he handles himself in the layup line, how he prepare, those are little things that these guys like, mm. you know, the baseball scouts especially, those what do we call them, bird dogs, they they really they have an eye for that thing. So that that's huge. And it's certainly for the Sixers, I thought this group had a great bond. It's Brett Brown, he talked about spirit and form and, and playing well, but the spirit part is where a group stays together. And little things like playing cards together, you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. uh, those are those are huge. And, and and Jimmy and Joel sometimes the, you know we'd be there, and they're still and I li- I love that because you need that, uh, and that's all the things. Look, I'll say this lastly on this topic, but when any sports team is close to the championship, I don't care if it's the WNBA, minor league, I watch, and I watch because they celebrate. And then they talk about what what brought them to that point, and what mm-hmm. do they they say the same things, big large adjectives like loyalty and trust and chemistry. They're not they, these teams have played in the case of baseball seven eight nine months. They're not just making it up. So character and that that chemistry and coming together, all of those things are real and they matter. Yeah. All right, Tom. Before we wrap up here, um, there's a quiz. By the way, we didn't tell you that we always we always oh, surprise the guests. Get ready with for some quiz. dead air. And ah. it's always it's always about uh, well, you know this because you listen to our podcast that we always uh, do something around their life. But before we get to that, uh, speaking of your life, there's a couple things. One, we never got to that you did catch uh, at, at the vet. You, uh, I invited you out one time to catch balls with Mage McDonald. Oh, it was yeah. this Great legendary, legendary Mage McDonald would go out at lunchtime and hit fungo balls uh, with his fungo bat. Sorry, and hit. We would line up in the corner of the vet on the warning track, and there would be about six, seven guys. Mike DeMuse would always be out there. We'd have a bunch of guys, 
and Mage would hit it perfectly where you'd run along the warning track and, <laughs> and he'd hit it he'd hit it almost perfectly against the wall so you'd have to run catch it against the yeah, wall make throw it back the and then you, it was an exercise but it was a fun exercise oh my god was that so the best what a what? workout yeah so right Mage was that's a profession so the fungo bat is so much more near I pay I play pepper with my son all the time but that's like 20 yards away you know and actually it should be closer but that so Mage could do this from beyond second base Right to the wall. Right. I will He's... never, as long as I live, ever go, I can't believe he didn't lay out and hit the wall. Because yeah. I was, uh, I would bah, 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 bah. I'd go up to the wall like, ah, I don't think so. <laughs> but yeah, and you're right. You could have, you know, if we were all Mike Trout, we could have snagged it yeah. over the wall. Uh, and that was a workout. Yeah, oh my so gosh! So workout. place it just so you'd have to run as hard yeah. as you can and just in your grasp. Yeah, you know? so it was, yeah. Yeah, Tom, I think do you think was, we can get Larry Bowe to do that uh, now? <laughs> <laughs> it was like I would say it was '98, and the reason I know is because yeah. John, I, I lived in Havertown, and it was an NBA lockout, so I really was literally sitting around the house with nothing to do. And at that time too, I was again in a, a modicum of shape. So we come out, and it was a workout. Thank God there were six or yes. seven guys because you'd be panting right. with your hands on your knees and then you'd have to go again and by the time you went from the left field fall pole to the right field that was like four cracks at it so then we get done and you and your buddies decide you're going to run the bleachers steps yep. for like a more cardio i'm like what sign up for that you just gotta and watch I'm out thinking, for the cats that would run out from yeah. underneath you. and i'm thinking mage you know mage you hit me some grounders right. and like well with mage like you know he's doing this for professional baseball players his whole life yeah it wasn't just casual grounders no. like oh my god it was like range finders right. like left and right I was exhausted. Well, and you also, well, we were at a beach house, Tom, uh, way back when, Tom mm-hmm. McGoin, uh, back in 97, was it? Sounds uh, right, yeah. Which, uh, that's where I really got to know Tom. And then, But also, you met your wife here at the Phils. Yeah. Then we're going to get to the quiz, but tell about how you right. met your wife here. Um, so it was the Police Athletic League softball game, and Robin Rieger was a reporter, and at that time a reporter, but ended up anchoring a little bit for CBS3. And she played, and I was on, I guess the radio team had too many people. And I had been told like a previous couple of years, like, this is, oh, you'll never get in that game. That's so hard. So you were probably my entree into it, which was cool. And I could still play a little bit. Although I think Pat Chiraki got me with a breaking ball, but no. <laughs> Pat Chiraki. <laughs> oh, with the slider. In. No, but uh, <laughs> so, yeah, so I played with the TV team, and Robin was on that, and we were in, like, the visiting football locker room at the vet, and, uh, like, in a holding area because BP was going on. And so, and some of the police officers were down there, whatnot. And Mark Zumoff, he has two boys who are grown now, but at the time they were young, and he brought his kids to the game. And so I was like bored, and so I was teaching them like the pitcher's motion in the locker room. And I remember Robin came up and said, uh, "Who's kids? Your kids?" I'm like, "No, no, these are my kids. I'm showing her no rings. I'm not there." <laughs> and then we go out and play. And I think she made an inquiry with like Marcus Hayes of the Daily News, and and maybe with Mark Zumoff. And I took her spot. Like I was probably I had like carpal tunnel from shooting too many free throws and seven irons and whatnot. So I had to play second base, and that was her spot. But uh, then we met. Well, wait. So I point because like, everybody like Harry the Case was like where you had the function at the time yeah. in the vet. But I I had to get the whole experience. You know, I'm in the locker room cracking a Budweiser, sitting nice. in there. I'll be up there. I'll be I'll be up to the function. But you know, I gotta yeah. like I think I was the only one that sweat. Get your and, arm in the trainer in the <laughs> ice bag. Took a shower. Down. You know, and I came up to the pre- yeah. And so we met. And uh, yeah, that was back in uh, about it. It's probably 2000. 
and we've been together ever since. Love at the Police Athletic League <laughs> softball game. That's really uh, very. That's just a lovely story. Yeah, Tom. it was neat. I love it. All right, well, Tom, Uh-oh, I think it's time. It? It's ready for the uh, for the quiz. And uh, Tom Burgoyne, what does T Mac win here? Uh, I don't know. What, <laughs> what what's our promotion coming up? <laughs> Scott Brander's going to kill us. You guys never know. You, you should be promoting something. What are we promoting? Well, Tom can come either to Tuesday night to the Salute to Military, uh, to Salute to Service. Right? So Sure. So we'll so, give or Tom he could come Wednesday night to Greek the night. Greek Heritage Night. Yeah, he's got a little Greek in him. Or he could you come. You should tell your Greek Scott Rowland story. Thursday. Are you kidding me? <laughs> we never told that on the podcast. At some point, I will. We'll have to find a, uh, a way to do that. Um, Thursday, 105 Business Person Special, if Tom was coming so down he, for that. So he's getting a three-pack of tickets? No, he can, he can, pick, he can pick the game. Oh. Door pick, A, B, or C. Salute to service game. on Tuesday night. And I was already treated to a game. My son and I, it was nice. the NBA draft lottery. Normally, that was must-see viewing. But in this night, you know, we're not as <laughs> yes. big of a player. We're the 24th pick. 24th, we had a 1% yeah. chance. So my son and I were here, and we absolutely loved it. The, I would say, again, for baseball fans, for families, like this is such a great venue. Mm. To be able to come here and teach your son, the game, yep. has been a great gift, and uh, I've really enjoyed that. Uh, and before we start the quiz, uh, make sure you tell the powers that be, uh, especially Elton Brand, uh, that Ty Jerome at number 24 would be a fantastic pick. Don't tell me. He's a UVA the- guy. Oh, did he go to UVA? Because <laughs> I, I, I think everything revolves around UVA in my world. So. Hey, Rob Brooks, are any good Drexel guys Ty out Durham. there? Uh, the, the Sixers might be we looking at there last year. And get Kyle Guy <laughs> in the no. third in the second round. All right. How many questions, John? All right, we have. Uh, let's see. We went with eight questions. Okay. All right. All right now, he needs to get uh, six of eight. Six of eight. All right. Now, Tom. It's about my own life. Uh, yes. yes. Well, you'll see. Okay. Now, Tom, uh, you are from Spring Valley, Illinois, which was stated earlier. One. Right? One. One for which, one. <laughs> which of these celebrities was not from Spring Valley, Illinois? Okay. Here's your here's your four celebrities. A, Chad Durbin. B, Soupy Sales. C, J, A, Hap. D, world, former world boxing champion Billy Papke. Wow. This is <laughs> – you did your homework. So, Chad Durbin, but they're both – and, and J, A, Hap are from Peru. Yep. And my sister actually remembered, uh, you know, Debbie was Chad's uh, mom, is. And so. And also, two of the nicest guys that ever yeah, came to the Philly Jay system. Jay Happ went to my high school and broke all the records huh. there at St. Pete Academy. Uh, so neither of them were from Spring Valley. I well, got to go. Well, well okay. Well, that, but that, but they're they're from Spring Valley area. They're from right? the Illinois Valley. They yeah, call yeah. It. yeah so, right. So yeah. So they're, they're, you can knock those out. So now it's between Soupy Sales and World <laughs> Boxing Champion Billy Papi. <laughs> I'm gonna go Soupy Sales. Soupy Sales is correct. correct. Ding ding ding. I just I love getting Soupy. I think I might have used was them. Was Billy Papke from there? Billy Papke was from there. Yes. No way. All right. Uh, this season. In basketball, who was second in assists behind Ben Simmons with 610? So second in assists behind Ben Simmons. Ben Simmons had 610. This person had 258. Okay. On the Sixers? On the Sixers. Was it J.J. Redick, Joel Embiid, Jimmy Butler, T.J. McConnell? Oh, let's go with some clues here. Uh, well, <laughs> on is he tall? Is he from Pittsburgh? Is he from Tomball, Texas? Uh, I'll give you a clue. That he's a guard. All Maybe right. that helps. Oh my! I'm gonna say that takes out Joel Embiid. Right. Yeah. Right. I'll say Jimmy. No, it was actually T.J. McConnell. Oh, They're all lumped in there, but that's all right. All right. I know. I just took a gambit that you would uh, be a big Hoosiers fan, the movie, yep. right? So you are a movie. So what was the name of the team's best player in the movie Hoosiers? I'll give you – I'll even make – you can – if you say it right now without me giving you the uh, the 
multiple choice. It's worth like four. You can make up for the one you just missed. Oh, I, don't, I, I need the clues. All right. A, Jimmy Chitwood. B, Johnny Chapman. C, Joey Chester. D, Jackie Chittister. A. Yes, correct. you are correct. All right, very good. Wait, can I tell one story? It's a podcast. <laughs> yes. So, podcast. or the 30th story. <laughs> we, I one time was on a, with a hockey team, and we drove to Richmond, Virginia, and we were probably from Norfolk, and so it's like whatever that is, two hours. We were watching Hoosiers. We're at the arena. It's time to go in, but I'm on the bus with a bunch of minor league For the first time, players. this first time you're seeing Hoosiers? No. Okay. So you know how it ends, but you still don't yeah. want to get off the but bus? But everybody was so, and it's a sports team about to go yeah, yeah. play a professional sporting event, and everybody <laughs> stayed on the bus. Like 35 people were still watching the very end. <laughs> you got to watch it. It's a great movie. I think it was Jimmy Chitwood who All hit right. that J, yeah. actually, to now, win it. But. I know that you used to go to Europe uh, with your family. Family when you were younger, mm-hmm. right? And I know from a source, Matt Cord, uh, that you, when you travel, you like to go to museums. Yes. Right. All right. So, what museum in London has uh, on display the Rosetta Stone? Okay. Ooh. So I've seen this. I was actually uh, when I went in. I went to London for the Eagles game, and I went to this museum. So was this museum the t- A Museum of London? B, Victoria and Albert Museum, C, the Natural History Museum, or D, the British Museum? Ooh. Uh, the Tate we went to, I know, but that was mostly, obviously, So, it's again, the Museum stuff. of London, the Victoria and Albert Museum, the Natural History Museum, or the British Museum that uh, holds the Rosetta Stone? Did not see it. Did not go to... Uh, I know we went to the London Museum. I'm going to say the um, the one with the, what, the Natural History Museum? Uh, no, it's the British Museum. So it's uh, highly recommended. The, uh, wait, I thought I said the British Natural History Museum. You did. You did. <laughs> okay. All right, ready? Uh, this is announcer-themed. Which announcer, which announcer was not... <laughs> it's a weak question. Which, You're right, Tom. Which announcer was not in Naked Gun? Okay? This, this one was not in Naked Gun. Dick Enberg, Vin Scully, Mel Allen, Tim McCarver. Dick Enberg, Vin yeah, Scully, right. Mel Allen... Tim McCarver. What was the movie again? <laughs> Naked Gun. Did you ever see Naked Gun? Yeah. Uh, Tom, you can help here. That's you an can, old one. You can do a lifeline Jeez, if you can, want. Yeah, no. I, it's been a long time since I'll I saw that I'll say Tim movie. McCarver. No, it was Vince Scully who was asked Vince to be Scully. in it, or, or wanted to be in it. Too but, dignified. Uh, I think the Dodgers uh, were worried about the, <laughs> the, right. the tone of the movie, So uh, even though he wanted it, to be in Vince it. Vince Scully, bigger than the movie, actually. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So you have a connection with the 1983 Cubs, correct? Uh. No, Not really? I covered the White Sox in 83. Oh, I thought you covered the Cubs. No. Well, then no. maybe this question. The ball that went through Bull Durham's yeah. leg. It's a quiz. Well, which two players tied for the team lead in home runs in oh, 83? Okay. You'll get this? Yeah. All right. Was it Billy Buckner and Jody Davis, Ron Say and Keith Moreland, Jody Davis and Ron Say, Mel Hall and Leon Durham? I'd go with uh, C. C is correct. Yep. Jody Davis and Ron Say. There you go. All right. If you get these, last, the if you get these last two... <laughs> If you get these last two, he, he's a winner. The, if you get one of the two, I'll even. All right. Sounds okay. good. We're generous Who here has the highest on-base ben, uh, percentage for the Phils? Right? Is it Bryce Harper, Cesar Hernandez, Andrew McCutcheon, or Reese Hoskins? I'll say Cesar Hernandez. Uh, they're all very close. Uh, Reese Hoskins that right now. That means no one All right, but that. you have to get this one. You have to get this Not one horseshoes. to be correct, to, to win it all. Okay, ready? To win it all. We mentioned the 2000-2001 76ers, right? Who had the most rebounds that year? Total rebounds. Was it Tyrone Hill, Dikembe Matumbo, George Lynch, or Theo Ratliff? Well, both Deke and Theo played half the season, so I'm going to 
So now it's a 50 50 proposition between Tyrone Hill and George Lynch. I'll say Tyrone Hill. Tyrone Hill is correct. Nice. You're going to see the Phillies. And because you got that right, (laughs) you get to hear Tom Burgoyne as Dave Zinkoff. He's heard me do this. Actually, we were on stage. We did did a fundraiser years and years and years ago where we were judging the hat and tie contest, and we were on stage. And uh, and I'm like, hey, he was like Tom, and I'm so excited. And uh, I'm like, I do it, Dave Zinkoff. And I think I did it right on stage. We were supposed to be judging somebody, but no, he. All right, for our listening like, audience, do it, do it, yes, do it. I already. Trevor and Bo have not heard this. Now you Sixers starters first. <laughs> the guard from West Texas State, number ten, Mo Cheeks. At the other guard from Southwest Louisiana, number twenty-two, Andrew Tony. Santa. St. Petersburg High School in Virginia, number two, Moses Malone. A forward from University of Virginia, number eight, Mark Averonian. From the University of Massachusetts, number six, 76, the Captain Julius Irving. <laughs> that is outstanding. Head coach, Billy Cunningham. His assistants, Jack McMahon and Matty Gugas, trainer Al Domenico. <laughs> What about smoking, hey, get what about smoking in the arena? <laughs> Not permitted in the seating area. If you, you know must hold that light. You know who would do uh, <laughs> zinc? Like, over the years, I've, I've talked to a lot of the great former Celtics. Like, uh-huh. one is Sat Sanders. And even, like, Tommy Heinsohn and... Even Cedric Maxwell, more recently, and and they all, they all could, do not, not quite as well as that. I might, have. but then there was some like salami that was given out to yeah, like the player of the out game. The salamis. Oh yeah, my yeah. god! And Seth Sanders, you know, he's just at the time I believe he worked for the NBA. This is probably twenty years ago, and he's got a bow tie on and so distinguished and like you know part yeah. of the great lore of Celtics history. Yeah, and he's telling me that story with like zeal. Yeah. <laughs> it was great. I used to, uh, my brothers and I would go to tons of Sixers games, and you know how they would bring out uh, people to shoot the half-court shot. You had to have a, a, a number in your program. And we would sneak in line and, and nice. take the shot, you know, unbeknownst to the front office people, the Sixers. I did it about four or five times. And I'd always walk in, I'd walk past, Zink would be there. <laughs> and I'd kind of give, you know, Zink the little wave. And I'd go out there and I would always throw it with one hand, John, underhanded in honor of Dr. J. I would do a finger roll from half-court. And one, one night, it went, it went in and out, and it almost went in. And I had it planned. If I was ever going to make it, I would, like, while everybody's cheering, I would bend down and take because everybody would put their program on the on the court. Somebody else's they, program. I would take somebody else's program. <laughs> <laughs> I had it all planned. Deep for deceit. <laughs> Wait, Tom. And since this is a podcast and we're going extra long here, I have to add one more story because this is the only opportunity I'll be able to tell this story. Is that way back when when the Sixers were not good, you were announcing, and uh, your point guard was the kid from uh, Boston College. Who was the uh, little guy? Well, that was prior to me, Dana Barros. Uh, Dana, Dana Barros. Barros yes, Dana Barros. So it's prior to you. So Dana Barros. So I was at the game with Tom with about ten other people. And uh, it was this, the stadium was uh, arena was was pretty empty, right? So you could you could hear someone yell at the spectrum. Wa- yes, at the spectrum. If you wanted to yell at somebody, you could hear that person. So and we uh, were only about six or seven rows up. You're we had right. Great seats. We were right there. Great seats. So it's towards the end of the game, right? Key moment of the game. The Sixers are down by one. 
Dana Barris is bringing the ball up, right? He's bringing him up. Key, there may be 15 seconds left of the game. He's bringing it up, bringing it up. All of a sudden, Dana Barris is about to make a blind pass to whoever the other guard was, right? He's about to make a blind pass. Tom Burgoyne sees that he's about to make a bad pass, and right when he's about to release the ball, Burgoyne yells out, No! <laughs> right? I swear to God, Dana Barris hears the no. In the corner of his, in the peripheral vision, he sees the guy trying to like cheat up to get the ball, and he pulls the ball back, and in that same motion, the other guard cuts in, and Dana Barris we throws it in him. there, back backdoor him for the game winning basket, and we were high fiving Tom Burgoyne as if he just won that game. Oh, that is great. We get that's better than a half court shot. Uh, there, right. there you go. There you go. All right. right. Well, this has awesome. been fun. Tom, thank you so much. You know, John and I, we've had uh, all kinds of announcers on our podcast, and we always say we're very blessed in Philadelphia to have great. I mean, Scott Fransky is as good as it gets. You got Merle, Saunders, uh, you know, as far as the radio guys, we, we're so. We're just so happy, oh, you know. Deep. You're. I, I mean, we look out at the sky, uh, the city skyline, yes. and here we are at the ballpark. And like I said, I never take for granted that we're in a market like mm. this, where sports, you know, mean so much to so many people, and that we're in this business. And you know, you get to travel and call games, and and I just love it. It's been a passionate thing for me forever, and I so much appreciate appreciate being well, here. Well, when we appreciate the passion, I'll tell you. I mean, when I'm I do a lot of driving at night, so I listen to you a lot, and uh, I just listen, and I'm smiling. It's like when I'm listening. To, you ever tune into the uh, Bruce Springsteen, the E Street Channel, and you listen to like a live Bruce? I smile when I'm listening to Bruce. I'm always smiling when I'm listening to the Sixers, and so That's a it's great all compliment. your passion and uh, yeah. and your enthusiasm, Tom. It's great. So keep, keep doing what you're doing. Keep doing what you're doing, and uh, thanks for joining us. Rob Brooks, thank you very much. John, I guess. And our uh, listening audience. And our listening audience. Yeah, uh, guys, we had a, a couple Trevor visitors in the booth. Intern, yeah. High school interns. Absolutely. So thanks for being here, fellas. Enjoy the rest of the week uh, with the Phillies, and uh, I guess we'll be back next week. We'll see you at the ballpark.